The word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 3, both the first verse and the 15th verse. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Then the Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the word of the Lord. Grace you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Those of you gathered here in this worship uh, place, as well as those of you who may be joining us through our, our media, simple question for you. As the title of our message indicates, I'd like to know what you really think about the devil. And simply put, is Satan real, a living being who does have as his goal to destroy God's people and lead them away, as, as we just sang, or is he simply some type of myth or legend that has been made up in order to try to explain any a number of things, but is certainly not real. So, if you believe that Satan is, in fact, real, please raise your hand. Okay. Now, those of you who may have been hesitant or kind of slow to raise your hand, you may have good reason to. I'd like to read for you an extended clip of an article that was written by a a psychologist, a very learned, uh, educated individual named Phil Zuckerman, who's a professor of sociology at Pitzer College in uh, Claremont, California. He's an author, a speaker, an editor, and uh, a spokesperson in general. The name of the article is The Devil? Seriously? And this comes from 2015. How can people seriously believe in the devil? The year is 2015, not 1315. And yet the fact remains that tens of millions of Americans continue to believe that there is an evil being out there doing evil, wicked deeds and reigning and presiding over a fiery realm. Only a completely uninformed, poorly educated mind with little involvement of, or knowledge of things such as evidence could believe in the devil. But there is no such thing as the devil. Just as there is no such thing as fairies, imps, or goblins, the two largest religions in the world, Christianity and Islam, teach that there is a devil and they are wrong. There is no evidence for such a thing, not a shred. It is simply something that germinated from the unscientific, irrational minds of early humans who tried their best to describe and explain why bad things happen to good people, why good people sometimes do bad things, and why there is so much needless suffering in the world. If you're not aware of it, that view is not held only 
by a Dr. Zuckerman. For us to have raised our hands to say we, quote, believe in the devil, to read the scripture passages that we've read, to have a prayer that's written about Jesus destroying the devil, to sing a hymn, for goodness sake, that talks all about the foe coming after God's people and how we need to be vigilant. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds to some? Do you know how foolish and and childish they would think it is? Because, according to some, there would be no evidence for such a thing. Young men and ladies, as you may be going off to college this fall or returning, or whatever your experience in life may be, we need to be aware that this mindset is something that continues to grow. And unfortunately, especially in the areas of our society that we hold up to be the bastions of of intellectualism and, and academia and knowledge, It is especially there where such views of Christian principles and things are not just not believed, but are held in derision. We need to be aware of that. We do more and more stand out by the beliefs that we hold by the grace of God. For you see, a lack of belief in the devil although on the one hand sounds not that big a deal, really then calls into question everything that the Word of God says about the devil, beginning in Genesis and and through the book of Revelation. And if the Word of God is thrown into doubt, then what about the work of Jesus? In fact, why would there need to be the work of Jesus if there is no devil, if there is no sin? You see where this goes? You see, this is what is on the line for us as Christians. So when we have an opportunity through the scripture readings to talk about the devil, we're going to do it. And although at times we may be have cute cartoons or knowledge or jokes, which may be just fine. But if that leaves us with the impression that the devil is some cute little stuffed animal type toy, we're greatly deceived. For not only is he real, he means business. And his business is nothing less than separating you and me from the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ to our soul's destruction. And so we do well to be wise to what his strategies are. And so I invite you to uh, do two things. One, if you follow the sermon outline, that might be a place to turn. As well as in your scriptures, this should be an easy one to find. Don't have to go thumbing all the way through the Bible. Go to page two in the Bible. Can you find page two? They're jumping to it right there. They're grabbing that scripture and we're ready to go. Page two, Genesis chapter three. Because you see the plan, the scheme, the strategy of Satan is recorded very plainly for us right away in Genesis and in fact is repeated any number of times, not just in the Bible, but in our own lives. So if you would look there at Genesis chapter three, 
and beginning with uh, the second verse, you'll notice that after Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and God has put them there to work and tend it and everything is wonderful and good, it says the serpent comes along and the serpent speaks to Adam and Eve. Of course, to someone who doesn't believe, that's the beginning of the fairy tale right there, of course. But look at the first words that come out of the serpent's mouth. In fact, could you say them with me if you're looking at a Bible? Could you say them with me? Did God really say? You see, his first strategy is to want us to doubt God's word. Did he really say you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that you need to to do this? Did he say that you really should avoid this? Come on, really? Are you sure? I mean, that Bible was written an awful long time ago. And, and certainly that Bible was written at another place and time. And, and some of the things that are written there, I mean, those, those can't really be true, can they? I mean, a great fish, uh, you know, bones coming to life, uh, feeding a fire. Really? And those prohibitions and those commands that, that God gives us with regards to our lives and, and, and how we structure our families and society. Come on, that, that was for another time and place. Things are so much different now. You, you really can't accept God's word. He's good. But not only does he want us to doubt God's word, he goes that step further. And he wants to deny God's word. After he said the question to Eve, she answered correctly. No, God didn't say we can't eat from any tree, but he did say there is a tree, the knowledge of good and evil that we should not eat from. And he said, if we do, you know, the day we do, we're going to die. And Satan's words, you will not surely die. God is, well, to be most charitable to Satan would say, he's, he's deceiving you. But really, he's lying to you, okay? Eve got it. Because he knows that's not true. You're not going to die. What do you think? You're going to take a bite of a piece of fruit and God's going to go, wham, after he just created you? Come on. And then he goes on to the next thing. A counterfeit promise. Don't you see? Eve, if you eat of this, God knows you are going to be like him. And your life is going to be great. You're going to be like God. He's holding out on you. This is the only way to experience true fulfillment in your life is if you do things this way. Sound familiar at all? In our society? How about in your own life? How many times hasn't the devil worked in that way saying, you know, the only way you can truly be happy. The end result of all this? Brokenness. That may be the best word to describe the world that we live in, the relationships that we have, and our experience with God as well. Brokenness. And devil could want nothing more. You see, when Adam and Eve 
took that forbidden bite, the next time God came around, instead of going to meet him, it says what? That they hid. They were afraid. Their relationship with God was broken. And then, their relationship with each other? That had been wonderful. Better than anything you and I could even imagine. And yet, once sin entered, and God says to Adam, um, what did you do? Did you see how quick he was? She did it. She's the one who gave me, and oh, by the way, the one that you gave me, God, she, she's the one. There is a broken trust. There is broken communication. There is broken relationship. And Eve does the same thing, passes the buck on. And finally, there's a broken relationship between human beings and creation. Everything was perfect up until that point. But now, the world has fallen. It's broken. Thorns and thistles, God says. Sweat, hard work, aches, pains, illness. You name it. The world's changed. Brokenness. And we experience it every day. Yes, the devil's real. And he means business. And he is very, very effective. We should sing and pray and study and learn all about it. Because the Lord knows that we need his help. And that's what he gave. Already back at that first pronouncement of judgment upon the serpent and upon Eve and upon Adam, there was also a proclamation, the very first one recorded in Scripture. And God says, there's going to be somebody. There's going to be somebody who is going to be your equal. Well, not really. He's going to be far beyond you. But what does he say? That person, that someone would be the woman's offspring. Did you notice that in verse 15? The woman's offspring. Interesting way to designate somebody, isn't it? The woman's offspring. I wonder if that has anything to do with pointing ahead to something like, I don't know, a, a virgin birth maybe? But again, there's no scientific evidence for that, so that must be folly as well. A woman's offspring. Um, the gospel lesson, I don't know if you, you remember what was read or, or, or engaged with that at all. It was the case where Jesus was very popular. He came even to his, um, near his hometown. And the crowds were still following him. And yet his family, it says, they went to go get him. You see, when the facts of Jesus' ministry were so plain before everyone that even his opponents could not deny that. So what do you do? If you can't deal with the facts, what do you do? You destroy somebody's character. You take away their credibility and you remove them as being believable. Boy, that sounds familiar too, doesn't it? Jesus, he's out of his mind, they said. And then the religious leaders come and say, yeah, Jesus, if he can do something, maybe. But you know what? He's doing it by the hand of Beelzebul. He's doing it by the hand of the devil. In fact, he is possessed by a devil. You see, that's the strategy. 
just to destroy the one who has the truth. So Jesus responds and says those familiar words about a house divided, a a kingdom divided. But then he says this really quick little parable where he says, you know what? No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first comes and ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. What? (laughs) So, Okay, Jesus says it. We're, we're supposed to wrestle with and say, okay, who's he talking about? Well, in brief, I think it's fair to say that Jesus is referring to the devil as being the strong man. Yes, he's got power. And he's got possessions that God wants. Namely, human souls. But Jesus says, if you want to get those, you have to come first and tie up the strong man. And that's who Jesus was. Not only was he the woman's offspring, he was the one who would tie up the strong man. Tie him up so that the world would be able to be saved and snatched from his clutches. And that leads to Satan's undoing. It's one of those paradoxes, as we often get in Scripture, how on the one hand something has taken place, but at the same time we don't fully experience it. And the defeat of Satan is one of those. Through Jesus' life, his suffering, death, And ultimately his resurrection. He has in fact fulfilled scripture. He has bruised the devil's head. I like the translation frankly. I I know the ESV is is, I'm sure more accurate to the Hebrew. But but I always like the one that said crush the sentence. Crush your head. Satan's head. That's what he's done. That's what his whole life was all about. Taking care of the enemy. And yet Satan still has power. Not as much, but he still does. And so he's real. But Jesus does say, Satan is coming to an end. There's going to be a day when there is no more Satan. Can you even imagine? Wow. That's a day to look forward to. But in the meantime, he's still there. Compared to a a dog, a mean dog, but on a leash, Satan is still there. He still has power. He still threatens. He still uses his strategies. He still tempts us. He wants nothing better than to lead us away from God and his word. And so that brings us to the final point on the outline. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, we have Jesus' example. Study the word. Use the word to resist. Trust God's word. Don't deny it or doubt it. We can resist the devil as we're told. But isn't this amazing? There's a passage from Romans chapter 16. We don't read it too often. But it talks about this concept of crushing Satan's head. The very thing that Jesus has done. And so it says this. It talks about that um, crush Satan under 
And of course, the natural thing would be to say that, that God will crush Satan under Jesus' feet. But that's not what it says. If you were to look up Romans chapter 16, verse 20, it would say, God will crush Satan's under your feet. Isn't that amazing? That God, by the Holy Spirit, gives you and me the power when we resist temptation, when we rely on the Holy Spirit and God's word, that we, in essence, every time we thwart his plans, we are, in fact, crushing Satan underfoot. And that's something that maybe we need to celebrate more often. Yeah, the devil's real. He's not just a legend. In fact, Jesus even calls him the father of lies, a liar. And that's what he continues to lead the world into. But thanks be to God, you and I have the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.